Good morning, Georgetown Christian. So Advent um, is Latin for Adventus, which means coming. And I just have to remind myself of that every year because I'm always like, why are we calling it not Christmas? So Merry Christmas. Uh, We anticipate, however, in the season of Advent, we remember that they anticipated the coming of a Messiah. We now know that he has come the first time. We anticipate the coming of the Messiah into our hearts. And then the third week, we anticipate his second coming. That may be the last we talk about Advent today. We're in a series called Returning Our Gifts. And while we are going to be looking through uh, some scriptures, uh, Matthew 25 to be specific, um, we do recall the many hundreds of years, the hundreds of prophecies, all of the time looking forward to a time when God would write his law on our hearts, when God would provide a Messiah upon whom the government would rest, upon whom we could place our hope, and in whom we have hope because of his death and resurrection. Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies and said as much when reading from Isaiah one day and reading the, the scroll from Isaiah, he claimed to be this Messiah that we believe he is. But the season is what prompts the series, and the season is one of giving. We have the example of God's giving that's in John 3.16, I think is probably my favorite place where we just see that God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he, say it with me, Georgetown, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would have eternal life. It's because of God's gift, his, his choice to give, that we set aside all this time and we do all of this Stuff like decorating and giving and shopping and gathering for the smallest things like cookies even. Uh, How many of you gathered for breakfast with your electives? Maybe your life group has gathered for some other tasty food this month. It's because of that gift that we have a season of giving. Uh, God gave us his son, but not in the same way that we give. We give out of Uh, We give in this sort of abundant wealth culture. Uh, In America, we're like the wealthiest people on the planet. Uh, It it is remarkable to look at how wealthy we are compared to the globe. A Yahoo News survey said that Americans are going to spend $823 on Christmas this year. Some of you are like, oh, my pocket already hurts. My bank account's groaning. My credit's melting. Like all my cards have been swiped. They won't swipe anymore. Do you, you know you have a credit problem when your card doesn't work anymore? Am I right? I'll just admit it. Like I was at Home Depot more times than I want to talk about this week. And uh, every time I put the card in, I know it's going to fail every time I put the card in. And I wish I could say it's just a Home Depot thing. <laughs> We've used the card a little much. It's getting really tired. Uh, That is kind of the state of affairs for us, Uh, not just in a season of giving like this month, but that is America. The problem is that some Christians do not want to return our gifts. Now, returning our gifts has sort of a different a different thing that we think about whenever I say returning our gifts. You guys probably have received a gift that you wanted to return. I can say I have. I received a gift that I wanted to return. And uh, thank you, Mom and Dad, for this gift. I do love it. I promise. Keep listening to the whole sermon. 
uh, I received a gift that I didn't want, and I'm just going to guess it was somewhere between like seven and nine years old, somewhere in there. I did not want this gift. I said, thank you, and I was like, this smile, there's actually a, an emoji for this smile now, and that's the smile I made and said thank you, but oh, I felt so misunderstood and not seen and just like people didn't understand me and what I wanted. I don't know if you've ever felt that way about a gift that you've received. I got this really heavy red, like a fire engine, like cable net sweater. And I'm thinking, this is not Legos. Ugh, this is not Legos. I was so frustrated by that gift. And maybe some of you have felt that way. Spouses, I don't know if you've ever been given a gift that you didn't necessarily want. Has anyone ever been given a vacuum? Don't raise your hand because if you got beat the first time, you're going to get beat again today. If you've ever given or received a vacuum, or maybe you've given or received nose hair trimmers that you didn't ask for. And it's because someone who loves you so much just noticed this hair out here <laughs> telling everybody, hey... Life is good in this nose. Maybe you've even received a treadmill. It would get quiet, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's counseling after that one. If you didn't ask for a treadmill and you got a treadmill, ugh. Ooh, I am not a good counselor, but you can see me and we'll talk about what to not do. <laughs> God gives us each gifts of time and of talent we're talking about today and treasure and he expects us to return those gifts to, to love one another, to bring his kingdom to now, and to build up his church. Paul says in Ephesians, in the maturity up into the head, which is Jesus Christ, so that we'll experience a level of unity we've never experienced, and the world will know that we're Christians and they will want to know Jesus consequently. So God expects us to return our gifts. But I wonder, do we ever treat our gifts kind of like the red sweater? Like, I know I can't return it. I had no receipt. I mean, I got a clothes box, and it had a sweater in it. And it didn't matter that the tag was halfway there, because I got no receipt. I got no wheels. I cannot return this gift. I am stuck with a red sweater. I wonder how many of us feel like we're stuck with a, a gift or a, and now allow me to use the word talent that we're going to read about today in a, a wide variety of meaning that I think you see throughout the New Testament. It is not just an amount of money, which is what we'll see in this parable today, but as an ability or an experience that you have that maybe somebody else didn't have or as a skill that you have that others don't. Or maybe as a thing for which your heart beats, like it wants to jump out of your chest when you encounter a person who's in this specific situation. Or maybe it's like a passion where you're praying about this thing and God lays it on your heart and you begin to feel a little bit emotional or you see some group of people who have this experience collectively and you are drawn to them and suddenly your wallet is open and you have lots of time and it's in the middle of December and your spouse is like, are you completely crazy? We don't have either of those, money or time. But you're so passionately drawn to it that you know God made you to address that thing. And I think that for some Christians, we just are maybe a little frustrated with God, what God has given us. And we don't really want to return that. We don't really love our red sweater. 
Maybe it's that you've lived through a very painful and difficult experience, and maybe you're still even in the experience, and there's frustration, and there's lots of pain, and there's misunderstanding, and there seems to be darkness and no hope whatsoever, but maybe somewhere in your heart, you're just completely frustrated with God and unwilling to listen, to move, to forgive, to take the first step, to I don't know what it is for you in your life, but maybe for someone today that is something like that that has happened where God wants to take your pain and give you new purpose through that pain. I am saying that that is a gift, and now you can see why I think it may be like a red sweater. You really don't want it. You really don't want to return that gift. You don't even want to acknowledge that that could be a gift. So you see that I'm using the word gift, or today we'll see talent, in the full scope of its meaning that you will see throughout the New Testament. I really don't want to argue about that, but if you really need to, we can do that. I think that you'll see Paul multiple times expect people, Jesus the same, to give what it is that he's given them back for the building up of his church. So 1 Peter 4.10, as an example, each of us has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Remember, Peter's writing that to a group of people who are exploded out from their hometowns. They're the diaspora, the diaspora. You can choose the emphasis on the syllable. It's up to you. Some of you are listening still. This is great news. I'm so glad some of you are still awake. That's awesome. But our gifts are given by God and for the good of others. Everything we have, every, even everything that we are, is because God has chosen to give that. Will we return those gifts? We are not invited. We're not invited to claim citizenship in his kingdom and then to pull up a chair and to sit on the sidelines. You will see that truth today in Matthew 25. The Bible provides clear teaching on work. You can develop a well-rounded theology of work. In fact, I invite you to Google theology of work and find the website, send it to me. I have it on my computer. There is a whole not-for-profit called theologyofwork.probablyorg. We can develop a theology of work just from the scriptures in the New Testament. So if you've brought it with you today, open it up to Matthew 25. If you need to open your app and get there, go for it. If you need to pull one out from under your chair, go ahead and get to Matthew 25. But before we get into 25, just briefly, work is not the curse. I know it's Sunday. I know tomorrow is Monday. I know your job may not be your favorite thing in the world that you do. But I want you to say that with me, Georgetown, that work is not the curse. Are you ready? One, two, three. Work is not the curse. Who was working before Adam and Eve? Who worked to make all that there is? Who was that? The answer is God. Okay, so, so God was working. Was God cursed? No, he wasn't cursed. The curse came after God gave Adam a job to do. So work itself is not the curse, but work, and this is how you know it, because man, tomorrow's Monday morning. Work itself is now cursed as a result of our choice to sin against God. So Jesus is going to further develop that theology of work. And one of those things that's super important is that we are faithful to develop whatever he has given us. Paul says to Timothy, fan your gift into flame. We are responsible for developing what he's given us. You'll see that through this parable this morning. So if you want to put a little note in the margin of your Bible, not the Bible's here, thank you. 
theology of work, uh, Jesus says some about the theology of work here. Now, Paul says a lot more about it. Like, you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't provide for your family. He's not kidding around. All right, let's go to Matthew 25, verses 14 and 15. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Before we get to ability, in Luke, where you'll see the same parable, Jesus actually calls the person in this parable a sovereign or a king or a ruler who is going to receive a kingdom in case that sounds familiar to anybody and in case we need to have a little more light shed on who we're talking about here uh, Jesus makes it abundantly clear and you can also see that from immediate context of the passage Jesus is talking about when the return will happen and all throughout this he's describing himself as the king and as the judge. Now, in this situation, we have a man who's gone on a journey, and he's called together his servants, and he's entrusted to them his property, five, two, and one, each according to his ability. And when we're given a gift, an experience, a passion, a heart, a talent, whatever it is that we might want to call it, I want to use a lot of words to describe it because it's so multifaceted. It's not just going to be this spiritual gift where you pop out of the baptistry and suddenly you can prophesy. I want you to understand that there can be so much more that God can give and use in each one of our hearts and lives. And some of those things are like a red sweater. You didn't want to go through the stink that you went through to get that. But doggone it, if I didn't break that arm, and let me tell you, I laid in a hospital for 10 days with 111 billion temperature and thought I was going to die and it was miserable because my blood was infected. But let me tell you what God can do with that because he's a redeemer. He can take death and turn it to life. Guess where I got to spend almost a whole year? I got to work in the VA Medical Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And when I went into a room and someone was facing something really difficult, maybe even death, guess what God was able to redeem? In that room, he was able to establish a connection between two people who never served a day in my life in any kind of shooty bang, pal, military, whatever, nothing. Law enforcement or nothing. I mean, I love me some opportunities to exercise those rights. But uh, man, I never served a single day. And when I was in those rooms, God was able to take that experience that I did not want any more than a red cable knit sweater and apply it to the heart of someone who was hurting. He gives them according to our abilities, only if we're willing to receive it. What if you're a servant that's just running off when the king is handing out the talents? What if you're just running? You're running from it because to you it looks like a red cable knit sweater and all you can think about is Legos. I want my Legos. We're not going to be able to build up his church when we're running from what he's trying to give us. So the value, the type, the ability, they're, they're not all going to be the same. And my gosh, if that didn't destroy a church in Corinth. I don't know that it's destroyed, but it caused a lot of strife. Letters and visits and pain and suffering. They're going to be different and we're going to have to get over that, myself included. A talent, before we go on a talent, um, I would be curious to hear maybe after church sometime. I read a lot of different things on talent, but the most recent thing I read was that a talent is one year's wages, a whole year of wages. So imagine the money that this might be, and that was for a laborer, maybe not some big lega, like megalomaniac, like super wealthy individual at the time, but a laborer's wages for a year. 
So 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul addressing these whiny Corinthians, uh, he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? As though from within yourself, you just developed this amazing ability to do whatever it is that they were bragging about being able to do. Everything we receive is from God. Our very breath, our being, our nature, our uh, Colossians, uh, Paul says that in, in him, everything holds together. It's what chemists and physicists agree is the Colossians principle, because why don't electrons and protons collapse? In him, all things hold together. We don't know. So our very being is received from God. So we can't brag like some amazing thing that we've done is from us. But we can brag when he does it through us and say, look at what God did. All right, follow me on here through our whiny Corinthians. They should know better than to brag as though they've made this gift themselves. We're in verse 16 now. In verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and he traded with them and he made five talents more. This guy got right to work. He didn't wait around. I think that there might have been an early bird getter, and this guy was out before him. He was getting that worm. He went straight to work, and we got the five talents to turn into five. Um, a lot of people in first service, they were really interested right here in getting that guy's phone number. Sorry? We don't have it. Man, would I love it. The first servant appears to have taken immediate action. Maybe you know somebody like this. Maybe you are somebody like this. Can't wait to get up and go exercise your gift. You can't wait. Maybe that's you. Maybe you know some people like that. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe they get an award like every year and they're like nationally renowned. And I don't, I know a lot of what that's like. But I want to highlight for you two people from Georgetown Christian that are not my wife. Uh, the, the, the first person is Randy Essere. Some of you might have met her in second service before. Husband Joe. He's got some phenomenal hair. I can't wait for you guys to meet Joe. I mean, I'm not jealous. Uh, it is great hair, though. And uh, Joe, uh, he got lucky and got to be married to Randy. Anyway, Randy is the 2022 JCPS, that is the school system in Louisville, with over 2,500 kids and 91 schools. She is the elementary teacher of the year. She's not in the service. You don't need to clap yet. But at the end, you're going to want to clap. She got teacher of the year. Way to go, Randy. Taking five and making five. She's awesome. And then we have Rose Tyler, who is the 2022 Indiana State, that's the whole state, Food Service Employee of the Year. Um, if you're taking us, this is how you suck up to your boss. Uh, she has led food service across the school system of uh, New Albany Floyd County Schools for over 20 years. We won't talk about how many passed that, but more than 20 years she has uh, led at different schools. And the most amazing thing about her receiving of the year award is that since 2004, she's led a team that's at the biggest middle school in the state of Indiana. So way to go, Randy and Rose, give them a hand. That is amazing. That's just two of our folks that take five and make five. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made what did he make, Georgetown? He made two talents more. Don't have his phone number either. Man, would I love it. 
Matthew doesn't mention the speed with which this guy makes his talents, but it's clear that he's given a smaller amount. And he didn't stand around to cry about how this guy got five and this guy got two and this guy got one. And he didn't fit throw about how it was a red cable knit sweater instead of the Legos that he really wanted to get. He just took the gift and he doubled it and returned. He did what a servant should do. He put his master's talent to work. We're in verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the stinking ground and hid his master's money. This last servant is not like a big genius, but before we judge him like too intensely, which is always my first reaction in the Gospels, is to look at the Pharisees and be like, man, they're dumb. Why don't we just ask a question like, huh, this guy's still called a servant. I wonder if there's anything here for me. I mean, yeah, we have hindsight, and he made a really bad choice, but how many of us dig a hole, stick it in the ground? Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Each of these servants had the same amount of time. And the master came back after a long time. Matthew wants us to know there was plenty of time for these gifts to be put into service, for these talents to be invested, for them to do something with what their master gave them. And so I wonder, just before we judge this one talent, not so brilliant individual, but still called a servant, I wonder how long it has been since some of us have even asked the question, what are my spiritual gifts? What are my talents? And maybe it's not even what you do at work. Maybe you've got an area of your home dedicated to it. Maybe you have an area of your shop dedicated to it. Maybe you have a shop you built to do the thing. I spoke to a man this morning who made this beautiful flower holder on the other side of the building, Bob Jones. He is not going to make your flower box. And I asked him because I knew he could do it in like 28 seconds would take me a decade. He's going to put a top on a flower holder. He has a whole shop built for that. And when I asked him, of course, yeah, I can take care of that. It would take me a decade. Friends, would that take you like a decade or 12? Like I would have glue and staples and all this garbage. I don't even know what I'd be doing with it. It would probably, honestly, I'd have a bonfire before it was all over. And you all are invited and bring some marshmallows because I would be so furious. But that's not my talent. That is not my ability or my experience. That is kind of far from my talent. And some of you guys are surprised right now, aren't you? You're totally shocked uh, that that isn't my skill or my ability. So I wonder how long has it been since you've explored what God has given you, since you've tried to use it in his church to build up his church, to bring unity and to, to bring conformity into the likeness of Christ that comes through each one of us knowing and doing what God has gifted us to do, returning the gifts that he's given us for his glory and for everybody's good. It's not just our good, it's for the people out there. When they see our unity, we're a witness to a world that's without hope. But if we're going to go dig a dang hole, I just wonder, is there going to be any witness? So I'm wondering, is, is there... Is there a way that the Lord has put you together specifically that when somebody starts 
talking about this need, your wallet just like flies out and there's money headed towards them. You just can't help but give to them. That may be a spiritual gift of giving. If there's a room that you walk into and it is not so organized and you have a soul-crushing need to organize that room, you may have not OCD, which is what our culture is going to call it. They're going to solve it and make you better. It may be the spiritual gift of administration. It may be what it is. I'm not telling you that's what it is. I'm inviting you to explore your spiritual gifts and to make sure then that you are exercising those self-same spiritual gifts. Each one of us servants is going to stand before Jesus and say, here's what I did with what you gave me. And he's going to judge our works He's going to judge whether we did diddly jack, buried it in the ground, or whether we went and made two into two or five into five. He's not going to judge whether you had two and made five. He gifts us according to our abilities. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five more talents. And his master said to him, well done, Read this with me, Georgetown. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to read this next part. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I was so tempted to divorce this whole teaching from the idea of the entrance to heaven. And friends, I can't stand before you and do that. Look at the whole context of chapter 22, I'm sorry, 24 and 25 of Matthew. You are responsible to look at this because when his disciples are starting to wonder what does it look like in the end, he says a fig tree has leaves and in the spring you can see them. And then he goes on to teach. And I'm going to ask you, is it the people who are called servants or was there something more? Let's keep reading. Two points here. Uh, yeah, I have to do these two points before we keep reading. Um, because we just read here about when you're faithful over a little, I'll put you over much. Two points that we can't skip. That is true. This right here, this is true. Let's agree. This is scripture. And we believe that scripture is inspired and authoritative. These are the words of Jesus. We can believe that these are literally the words that Jesus spoke. And we know that because there is a line of manuscript evidence that is so long. I wish I could talk about it. But suffice to say that for things like Shakespeare, there's like 20. And for things like the New Testament, literally 40,000. So there's not a question of whether it's really the words of Jesus. It is a question, though, of how Satan can twist it. And so that's what we have to talk about because televangelists are now like insta-evangelists. Is this like not even a thing? Like, they're like popular, super popular, because they're going to tell you like this little hint of truth, but it's tied up with like a nasty lie. And it's called the prosperity gospel. I want to be clear that there's still good news in it, but they make it way bad. And they make it way bad by saying things like, it's not always easy to see. I wish I could just give you a list and say like, look, if they got gorgeous hair and beautiful white teeth, you know that they're a prosperity preacher, right? But someday I'm going to have gorgeous hair and it may be like in heaven, Jesus 
Hint, hint. Uh, but we'll have redeemed bodies. My hair will be beautiful. Uh, but someday I may have white teeth. And I don't want you to start thinking that I'm a prosperity preacher, okay? My teeth are going to get very white somehow, someday. Just a little more brushing. But these people will tell you that when you give your money, that God, remember what Jesus said? They'll say, remember what Jesus said? You've been faithful over a little when you gave me some money so I could buy a new jet or whatever sort of ministry they're into. I will set you over much. Does it say I will give you even more money? There's like no dollar signs. Jesus is not saying he's going to make you rich. And this is like, this is a super tell for a prosperity preacher. They're going to tell you that God wants you to be happy. Are those the Pauline words we hear? Do we, do we hear happy from Paul? We hear be what always? Be joyful always. See, joy is a Christ-centered knowledge that like Jesus has redeemed me. He's making me new. I have a hope for eternity. I'm not the same as I used to be. He's taking death and making life out of me. Watch him do what he does. That's a joy. Prosperity preachers are going to talk about happiness. And it's just, it's kind of slippery. And he'd be like, it seems, it seems like he's saying I'm never going to suffer. Didn't, didn't Jesus say that you are definitely going to suffer and that you should consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you suffer for my name's sake, when you suffer? We're going to suffer. It's a positivity. Paul says we enter the kingdom through suffering. That's after he got beat like 40 times. He's pretty confident that we're going to suffer as well. We can glorify God in our suffering. If you hear a preacher saying that, they're probably not preaching a prosperity gospel. I can't guarantee it, but probably not. So I said we're going to do two things. The second thing is that we're going to be judged by whether we return our gifts. In America, one of our gifts is wealth. I alluded to it earlier. We're well, like an average American family. So let's say if you're in here, you're wealthier than 99% of the planet. And historically, we're wealthier, 99.5% of people who've ever lived. It's so wealthy, it's embarrassing. Put yourself in front of Jesus. Put him on the throne, not the throne of your heart, not the throne of a song you like, not in the co-pilot or the pilot seat, and you're going to be the co-pilot, but like enthroned, reigning on high, sustaining everything by his powerful word, conquering sin, Satan, and death, Jesus. Put him on that throne, and then put yourself before him, and think about your checkbook and your credit card statement. And I do it, and oh, God help me, I have growing to do in how I spend my money, how I spend my time, and how I spend my talents. Because we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to judge whether we chose to return our gifts. If you don't know what your gift is, I invite you to browse over to georgetownchristian.org slash events, click sign up for Robin's spiritual gifts class. It's going to be held on January 8th, 15th, and 22nd, and it's at 9 a.m. In those three weeks, Robin will walk you through a process that helps you discover what you're experienced at, your abilities lie here, maybe your passion's over here. Maybe you've already identified a spiritual gift, and that's going to be able to sharpen that gift some and provide you with some direction on where you might want to exercise that gift within the church. And if you don't know what it is, he's going to help you figure it out. You're going to take a test. 
But whatever it is, we're responsible for putting it into practice. Let's go on to verse 22. That was, I believe, an important pit stop there for uh, verse 21. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, well done. Say it with me, Georgetown. Well done, good and faithful servant. So quick question. Was the five-talent servant praised any differently at all? You'll have to have your own scripture out to see this than the two-talent guy. Was the five-talent treated any? What about the result? Enter into the joy of your master. So the result appears to be the same. Friends, that's really good news for some of us who might be workaholics. Some of you right now are nodding your heads. Yes, I really like to work. In fact, I think I need to be there right now. It's time for me to go. I'll see you later. And you're off to work. Friends, you're not responsible for becoming a five-talent servant. You are responsible for exercising whatever God has given you and the place he has put you and the way that he has made you. That is what you're responsible for. He does not praise the two-talent servant, any differently than the five-talent servant. He, he simply says, good and faithful servant. Tiger Woods, competing for the PGA Tour and a $10 million purse, is, uh, he's practicing with a friend, Sean O'Hare. And they're nearing the end of their practice the day before the tournament. And Tiger knows, notices something about uh, O'Hare's putting that could be adjusted very simply. It's a fundamental, and Tiger decides that he's going to share that with his friend Sean. So in the practice, he shares that with his friend Sean, a putting tip. The next day during the tournament, his friend Sean is one stroke ahead. And when the tournament ends, His friend Sean is still one stroke ahead. When asked if he had any regrets, Tiger says, I have no regrets. That's what friends do for one another. If they can help one another out, they do. And this is a guy who's not a Christian. This guy doesn't claim to be a Jesus follower. Friends, how much more do we then need to give the gifts that God has given us back to him? Whether it be loving our neighbor, whether it be loving someone who says they're a believer, but it doesn't really line up. Maybe it needs to be something that you give back to the church. Verses 24 and 25, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Georgetown, we have to hear this. We have to let this bounce around in our hearts in our minds and in our life until it settles in a place that it becomes true for us, we're going to be judged for whether and how we choose to return our gifts. And we have to decide to do this. We 
have to decide to begin returning our gifts before the master returns. Read chapter 25 all the way through. Jesus says, be prepared for the time I come back. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you, what is it, Georgetown? You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. Our master, Jesus, does indeed plan to gather where he has not scattered any seed. He spent three years in ministry on planet Earth in a very specific geolocation at a specific time, and he preached the good news. He did miracles, but it was in one little speck of time in one very small place relative to the globe and to history. And he spent three years with 12 dudes, and he poured his life into them, and he showed them how to share the good news. And now Jesus, our king, our master, will return and say, church, what did you do with what I gave you? And by God's grace, this church is going to be a church that says, Jesus, we gave everything you gave us. We went out and we fanned that gift into flame. And look what we did. We fed the hungry and we clothed the naked. Just like Jesus telling John, the Messiah returned. We did all of these things in your name. We gave a cup of cold water to those who are thirsty. Father, we returned your gifts for your glory. We've all been given something, even if to us it's kind of a red sweater. It's not really the Legos we wanted. But if we're found to not be investing that for his kingdom, we will be found as wicked and slothful servants. Are you returning your gifts. Maybe you don't know what it is. You're still accountable. Maybe you don't know how it works and you're still accountable. Maybe you're unsure about where this fits necessarily. You're still accountable. Maybe you don't even know where to begin. You are still accountable. Have you signed up for Roman's class? Pretty easy first step. Another step you can take today, friends, is you can come forward at the end of this service the citizenship in this kingdom is not one of watching. It's one of working. We anticipate the coming of Jesus in Advent. We anticipate the coming of Jesus into our hearts. Maybe this morning Christ is not present in your heart whatsoever because uh, it turns out after hearing some of God's word, I'm really not in line with what's going on here in this body of believers and I want to be in line. Maybe today is the day that you decide that I need to place my faith in a church that says it's important that we do with what we have been given what God asks us to do because he's the giver. Maybe today is the day that you decide you're going to join a family of faith like this. Maybe today is the day that you say, uh, Holy Spirit, you have been far from me because I have been wrought with sin. And maybe today is a day of repentance. You want to come forward and pray with someone a prayer of repentance. You don't have to spill your guts to them, but you want to say, there's been sin in my life. I want it gone. God, I want you to be in charge of my whole life today. I want to be returning to you what is yours. Maybe today is a day that you want to come forward and say, I want you to pray that God would make so clear in my heart what it is he wants me to do. Maybe today is a day that you want to come forward and pray that God would help you fan into flame a gift you know you already have. Friends, maybe today is a day that you have to claim redemption 
for something that you don't know how God's ever going to redeem it because it's a disaster. You're living in pain. You're living in suffering. You're becoming bitter. And you are, you are trapped in bondage of sin. And you are a slave to this nastiness that will not let you have anything to do with God. And you're trapped in it. And you're looking for redemption, friends. I'm telling you that Jesus, this little nativity scene right here, this little baby that came into a manger, he also conquered sin and Satan and death. And so we have hope because he's risen and he's alive and he stands before God and says that, hey, these are my people. You can be his people, but you've got to decide because, friends, you, you cannot wait for the master to come back and say, what did you do? You've got to decide before he comes back. There's a man with a golden arm. His name is James Harrison. He's an Australian. He was born in 1936. He has blood that saved the lives of over 2 million newborn babies. His blood contains a rare antibody capable of curing a disease that's a severe form of anemia that doesn't allow the baby's blood to be compatible with the mother's blood. He's donated over a thousand times, and he had no thoughts of ever stopping. Friends, I'm, I'm asking you this morning, if you have a golden arm, are you using your gift for the church? Are you returning what God has given you? Or are you digging a hole? Father God, it's my prayer this morning that if we've dug a hole, that we're prepared this morning to say, God, I'm a hole digger. I'm a one-talent hole digger who's afraid of what it might be like to do with what you will have me do with this gift that I don't know what to do with. Father God, maybe some of us this morning are walking around with a golden arm. And we are trying to put it to work. And we are trying to return that gift to you. And we're looking for some help. Father, maybe this morning we're still throwing a fit about a red sweater we got. God, I've been in that position myself. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for this. This is not what I signed up for. I want my Legos. Father, would you work in a way that only you can work to transform our hearts, to make us like Jesus, that you might pour our lives out for the benefit of those that that don't yet know you, for the benefit of those that do know you and call you Savior, our brothers and sisters. Father, it's our prayer that you would be building up this church to your glory and for our good, and so that the world would know that you love us. Father, that this Christmas would mean more than gifts, more than, God, I hope there's an Amazon receipt in this box, but that it would be, God, I can't wait to give you back what you've given me. Father, make this true in your church here at Georgetown Christian. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.